That's what she said. Is that what she said? That's she didn't say that. Yeah, Noah loves that joke. Every time he's like, "That's what she said." Sixty-nine, four twenty. I'm like, Noah, come on, man. Like, none of that is funny. But yeah, it is funny though if you're I, eleven I'm, or twelve. Yes. <laughs> nothing is funny, frankly. No, I'm, damn I'm it. A, I mean, a nothing is funny. Uh, Mood, which we're, is a bad mood to be in when you're about to make funny, trying to make funny. Well, things. we're in a very serious time, but um, we are. Is this, <laughs> is this time more serious than the, any other? You know, but I've been so busy and so crazy, and I feel so disconnected and so disjointed from my uh, from myself that when I come down to Castle Grayskull Studios and I see the microphones and the guitars. It just, and the was, laundry and the don't, lizards. Don't talk about the laundry. Aaron is very sensitive about the laundry. <laughs> and what else? And the water thing that gives water. And then it just brings me back. I feel like I'm getting back to a part of myself that I've been neglecting. If my pile of dirty laundry can recenter you in, in your life, then you know, feel free to come over and fold it if you want or wash <laughs> I'm a it. Mess. That's what I do. I fold. I'm a really? folder. Yep. I mean, I always put them away in the wrong place. Uh, but uh, Putting them away is, is so far beyond mm-hmm. anything that we ever get to around here. Yeah. Just folding them. Just is- hoping. <laughs> the folding. Can you turn me up in the cans, please? I need <laughs> to hear what, myself. That's what she said. That's what she said. <laughs> Are you number two? You test. Yes. Okay. Too much? No, that's good. I love to hear myself. Are you hard of hearing? I'm what? <laughs> uh, okay. So I guess uh, we should begin. Let's try. Should let us begin. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life. That's us and recovery. <laughs> I'm Nat X. A <laughs> Mike R. And boy. R stands for ridiculously annoyed <laughs> at everything. I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry. Do we have a show for them? We, boy, do we have a show for you. Today on RMA, the summer of RMA is in full swing as we navigate the tumultuous suburban summerscape, <laughs> dodging beer after beer at barbecues and summer concerts, and we discuss how we maintain the no-matter-what abstinence objective, and we discuss the age-old myth that substance use is beneficial for Creativity, all this and more today on a very special edition of RMA. <laughs> and welcome back. I Mike. can't believe it. Fucking A. Good to see you, Nat. Here it's, we are. It's been a week and a day. It has. It actually has been a week. Have we been able to get it out every two weeks? Or get <laughs> That's it up? what she said. <laughs> um, have we been able to get it out every two weeks? No. When was we're, the a week, last show? we're a week behind. Okay, I'm really sorry, guys. Last week was fucked, though. We are making progress. Yeah, why couldn't we do it last week? What, what happened? Well, I was in the woods with a bunch of Boy Scouts. <laughs> no. Are you sure you want to admit that? Yeah, no, know. it was fine. It was fine. It was all legal. Um, but yeah, we're going to get to that. Anyway. Um, yeah. It's good to talk to you folks out there because it's been a, it's been a while and believe it or not despite the fact that 
it may seem like Nat and I are, have lost interest in this podcast. It is, in fact, not true. Nobody um, was thinking that until you said well, it. Well, I don't know, because, you know, we, we have an irregular schedule. It's, it's a summer schedule, I like to think. It is the summer schedule, and we are finding a way. This is probably, I know for me, this is on the top of my list as most important things that I do. And um, but, I'm never going to give up. But being on the top of the list make, means it's a stressor. Yes. You know what I mean? It's well, like it's this thing that sits on your shoulder, yeah. yelling in your ear, hey, fucker, you got to record a podcast this week, yeah. you moron. You see, that my internal voice is not <laughs> nice to me. It should call me like you knucklehead, like, You're like doing Paul your Churchill's best. inner voice does. Right. <laughs> knucklehead. <laughs> calls him a knucklehead. Saddle up. I'm not, I'm not up to the knucklehead thing yet. Well, well I, am. I am. I'm actually not that hard on myself, but it does stress me out that we're not doing it. Anyway, um, so this this would be a great time to drop an ad. Uh, this episode is brought to you by the Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. <laughs> what is it? This is just the funniest thing you've said all day. It is because I'm asking people to spend money on a show that comes out every once in a while. Well, quit talking them out uh, of it. There's a yes, lot I'm more. Sorry. What is the Patreon? It's a members-only subscription service. Right. And the best part of the Patreon is the Discord private message chat and, and that, video meeting platform. That goes on no matter how many shows we're doing. Or whether or not we're even in the Discord, we which are I try, but it's in it, It's on my phone. <laughs> And the monsters who are there are carrying they are, the tour, and they're doing a really good job. Thank you, and guys. it's gotten to the point where, like, I feel like I'm intruding on conversations I when I drop in <laughs> no, in the middle, too. and then like nobody answers me. They're like, "What's Mike doing in here? Yeah, what like, does he want? Who's that uh, guy?" It's funny you should say that because I had some similar feelings. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling like an outsider in our podcast. <laughs> I know, uh, so weird, Discord, but that's our fault. It's my fault because I haven't been able to be uh, on as much as I'd like to be. But I feel like slowly but surely we're crawling our way back into form i i think so um so if you if you want to see what goes on in that mystery discord uh hop on over to recovery in the middle age uh recovery mm. patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages to learn more and to sign up and the the mugs are the mugs. are being shipped out we we have lm new- from california got his mug yes uh, so you, there's still uh, merch is being shipped, and monsters are still getting their new merch from. Uh, By the way, Patreon. We have a problem. Oh, my wife has um is now that she has some some free time in the summer, she's Uh-oh. she's getting on the Peloton and doing the thing. Okay, and uh, you know what her view is? It's of that giant box of shirts. Oh, and she's like, isn't it time for? For Nat to, to to babysit the shirts yeah, for a while, I could probably. Take I said, them. "Yeah, okay, I'll I'll make sure because it is a big box and it's full of shirts that no one has bought." Well, my, and I don't even know if they can. Well, that's the thing. My worry <laughs> is that the that the store isn't functioning or something, and I just haven't. We been are able lazy, to, uh, lazy podcast. It's not this. a. La- I mean, look, it's one of those things. Um, if you do want a shirt, and for some reason the website isn't doing what it's supposed to. Send an email yeah, to just Mike email me your, your bank account information at middleagesrecovery.com or something. Uh, yeah. Yes. Send right. us your social security number, right. address, and bank account right. number right. with routing. I'm going to try and get some video uh, of this show since we are recording into the Q2N Zoom handy video record. I don't know why I'm saying that. They're not paying me any money. Maybe they that. will. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, the video editing takes a little bit longer than the um, the audio editing. So I didn't get around to it last time. I got to suck in the gut. And we Take just, another one. Take another one. Okay. I like that one. And we're taking a picture for Discord. Ugh, I hate right. that. I hate my... Yeah, we always uh, send a shot to the inner sanctum of, uh, yeah. of us. We can 
probably upload the picture a little later, right? Yeah, we absolutely. Do it now while we're recording the podcast. No, of course not. Do no. you have something you want to say? I, I did. I had something that's just been weighing on my mind. These you know what's been weighing weeks. on my mind? I didn't check the audio levels before oh. we started, so hold on a second. Ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Where can they find us, Mike? I have no fucking idea. Podbean. Oh, Apple yeah. Tunes. They're listening to it. They know where to find us. Is the website True. working? The website works. Middleagesrecovery.com. That's all you need to know. Join our recovery support yes. in Winkster Hangout Den on the private Facebook groups. Right. Uh, we have weekly RMA recovery meetings, although they have been. I think last week only Elizabeth showed up. And uh, I don't think she had the code to get in. So sorry, Elizabeth. Grant couldn't make it. Uh, we're going to have to make a concerted effort. We say to that get every week and we it. don't do it. We gotta, I feel like it's really happening. It. I feel like there's momentum and that meeting will fill up again. Okay. So come see us. Anyway, great reviews will be read right on the air. Uh, the best place to do that is on the Apple Podcast app, but we'll take it where we can get it. Just much like being married. If you get like what you hear, please give us five stars and help others find RMA through search. <laughs> okay. Search Every it. review helps. Also, tell us your story uh, by calling the RMA hotline at 516-888-6297. Leave us a message. Keep it three to five minutes. Tell us your story. Say hello. Tell us how much the show means to you. Do you have one? One what? Uh, a a message? message? No. Yeah. I had one last week. But, um, oh, there's a review. We have a review. I was just going to go poke one up. Okay. Do you want to read it or shall I? I'll, I'll, I'll read it if you want. It's fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> Saviors in a Small Town by Sir Guyford. I think that's Guy from uh, Patreon. Yeah. Okay. Sir Guy. Cool. Maybe he's a British? Sir Guy. Sir Guyford. Sir Guy Ford. Anyway, uh, I'm from a small town that only has AA as a recovery option. Ooh, sad trombone noise. Mm. I struggled with my recovery in the program until I found RMA. In a non-biased way, these two witty and intellectual gentlemen... I'll take it. <laughs> that's my dad. Uh, explore many <laughs> options to a healthy recovery that I would never have been exposed to without them. I appreciate the apparent honesty and willingness to speak about their own experiences. Not only has my recovery blossomed, but I'm also connected to an amazing community of like-minded individuals uh, who only aspire to raise each other up. Much love and respect for all the monksters around the table, down the street, around the world, down the street, and across the table. Eh, I fucked that Boom. up. Boom. Thank you, Guy. That was awesome. And um, Thank you. Thank I really you. appreciate it. Guy has been really um, yeah, active in our community yeah. on uh, Facebook. There's the Facebook group that we've got like almost 800 people on there supporting each other's recovery. 800,000 people, you mean. Yeah. <laughs> 800,000 people. 7,000 <laughs> on the main page. but um, Yeah, but we should post on the main page occasionally. I do. Do you? Yeah. I just post. In fact, we have a Monster Speak from the page. Do we? Monsters Speak. What did they been up to? Let's take a peek. The segment we call Monster Speak. Speak, 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 speak. That is a uh, pandemic effort, is what we yeah, call that. We, I think we need to re. You to think we need that. a new one? Yeah. We'll produce our very. <laughs> I was own. thinking I was all hot shit when I put that together. It's cool. <laughs> uh, so Monster yeah. Speak, speak, speak. This is the segment where, if you're new to the show, we uh, start discussions on our groups on the Patreon or the Facebook and. We, uh, you know, relay what all the monsters are st talking about. So I posted 
And I posted this for a reason because I was suffering from this. Anyone else stressing at work today? How do you push through those, quote, I could really use a drink moments if you still get them? Um, Which is a question that was definitely plaguing me last week or so when I was just getting steamrolled by life and work and... Um, did it, you have a, I really could use a drink moment? I didn't, because if I did, I'd be calling you. Yeah. Um, so Eric B. says, think through the drink. A drink never changed how I felt inside. Usually made it harder. More anxiety. So much anxiety. Yeah. I've heard so much lately about alcohol and anxiety. Like how the two are basically, yeah. you know, Siamese twins or co-joined twins as the case may be these days but regardless uh (laughs) they are they are together like 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 peas and carrots peanut butter and jelly right except not good tasting not good not at all Um, they do go together it's funny and 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 in fact okay I, i have something about anxiety that i have to bring up later right around the recovery in the news segment okay so all right it's remind me it has to do with a celebrity who was found who was become sober okay anyway um carrie c says um how she pushes through those i could really use a drink moments is a nap if possible i'm usually just tired yes good idea the problem i had with that when i was really struggling was that all i wanted to do was nap but, mm. you know, if you are capable, some people can take naps. Some mm-hmm. people aren't nap people. I don't know. Right. What kind of person are you? Can you do a nap? Uh, well, it's funny. Uh, I can do a nap, but I never used to be able to. But since the pandemic, and I, and I find myself working from home since more than... Since you hit than, 50, you started <laughs> napping. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I, don't, I, I, I attribute it to the fact that I have a comfortable couch within, you know, 10 yards of my mm-hmm. desk. But it, it, I suppose it could be advanced decrepitude and age. But I also get up at four o'clock in the morning, so you know, I, sometimes I need a nap. But it, it's fine, um, and it really does reset the clock. But um, yeah. but I think a lot of people don't really have the option to crawl away from the or under their desk and take a nap, right? I mean, yeah, I, I would have to be pretty hungover to really mm. sleep at work or take naps. You don't strike me as the napping type. Um, no, not lately, not in the last several years, <laughs> but I mean I like, to. so, so without any sort of substance yeah. running through your veins, so to speak, alcohol, whatever you, the idea of lying down and taking a nap, would that even occur to you? No, it, I can't. I you seem like you, have, go, you have go, a, go, go, like go. a lot of energy uh, yeah. wrapped up in that frame of yours. Wrapped up. And I don't know if I've always been this way or just while I'm sober and drinking coffee. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. I did just serve you a double espresso at 630. At yeah. night, which for me would keep me up until Saturday morning, but and this well, being Wednesday, but uh, I feel good, and um, you should too. Um, I mean, yeah, I feel fine. Melissa, I had M. a glass of water. Though. <laughs> you don't want a, an espresso. Yeah. Um, next up is Melissa M. Uh, I mentally take it off the table, even as a possibility, except at my in-laws. Then I use self-binding. You tie your hands behind your back so you don't smack them? Yeah. (laughs) Melissa, I want more explanation on this, so um, tell me on the uh, Patreon. Melissa's been uh, a big uh, supporter on um, Patreon, so she's always chiming in if you want to. She's uh, one of our more active uh, Patreon people. Keeping the dream alive. Which we love. We love it. Uh, Guy C2 or GC2 for his rap name. Did you make that up? Yeah, because it's like Guy something the, oh, the second. And it. I thought, 
we should call him because I'm always looking for nicknames. Right. GC2. GC2. You know, <laughs> rapping. Yes. Uh, I try to step out of the situation, says Guy C2, GC2. Usually the I need a drink moment is me trying to cope with something I perceive as unmanageable. When I step back and reason my way through, it usually it's usually something out of my control and ultimately doesn't even affect me. Yeah, that's true. I mean, getting yourself away from the thing is important because then you realize that what you think is really vital and important is really not as important. Certainly not as important to throw sobriety away and uh, have a drink over. So this is interesting because uh, I've been reflecting a lot back on my recovery and how my behavior and thinking patterns have changed. And there was definitely a period of time after I was struggling every hour to fight cravings. And once I got some time under my belt, I still had these situations where Mm -hmm. the thought would appear and I would have to actively like do something, like reason through it. They, use, they say in the rooms, play the tape forward. Um, and so that was a big help to me. I don't find myself needing to reason with myself as much as I used to. But, you know, this is a great way of, um, of pushing through these cravings, you know, especially if you've been doing recovery work or you have a particularly bad experience that you're remembering. So you get that feeling, you get that craving, and then to have your sober self uh, come straight out and go, well, let's look at this. What happened the last time? Or what What do you expect will happen? And you just sort of talk yourself off the ledge. So I think that's a great... Uh, well, I mean, that, that's really the essence of it, isn't it? Like, um, to give yourself, to have created for yourself the reflective space... <clears throat> where you can actually play the tape forward right. because that's not always something that you can do unless you're serious about your recovery and unless you have a desire to stop drinking. Right. It's like anything in sales in order to really sell it, you have to buy into it. You got right. to believe it. You can't just be, that's why it's tricky to say fake it till you make it. I mean, that does work a little bit, you know, getting you into the spirit of doing something. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to convince yourself of something you don't believe. Uh, so that's very true working on it, but you have to have, I mean, you have to have faith that you can overcome the craving or the desire. And I'm not talking about religious. Faith. What to say. I'm talking about self faith, which is very different. So you say three Hail Marys and, um, walk on your knees for a mile. I mean, if you, for your penance, I think that would make me want to drink even more <laughs> if I did that. That's it. Uh, Queen Elizabeth I of Munsterhaven. <laughs> That's good. Uh, what was that? I, I missed that. Queen Elizabeth I of Munsterhaven. Of Munsterhaven. Is that, uh, is that the land that we have created in Discord? I, I like it. Munsterhaven. I, mean, I think it is the inner sanctum of Munsterhaven. Of Munsterhaven. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. Beautiful. Um, I try to feel whatever it is that a drink would make go away. It's hard and a constant challenge. Wow. I really like Diving that. right in. I really like that. Um, I've, I've come across this in recovery before where it's, it's recommended by some that if you are feeling that uncomfortability, that uncomfortable feeling, that instead of trying to avoid it or numb it, that you should lean into it mm-hmm. and really feel it, but with a clear head. 
not just I'm going to drink a few uh, and like a six pack and then deal with it. It's like making yourself feel that instead of and then a lot of times I think by facing it, you realize it isn't so bad mm-hmm. and then you're able to push through. So that's a great idea. I think that's a great idea. I think some days that's a better idea than other days. I think you have to know, you know, are you, are you well fed? Are you well rested? Are you able to handle this thing head on? Because some days you don't want to handle it head on. Those days, go take a nap. Take right? a nap, I but mean, don't do other things. Right. Every, strat- every, uh, every strategy is situational, I right. would say, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. you can play the tape forward. Sometimes you're like, oh, fuck the tape. Sometimes you can meet the thing head on. Sometimes you just need to check out for 20 minutes on the couch, right? right but Not the, with heroin, but no. <laughs> preferably with just sleep. But the one tool, Melatonin, maybe. Yeah, you know? melatonin, but the one thing not, you can't not do... Not the day. Don't take melatonin during the day. You if you have to go back to work. Yeah, that'll knock you out. But you yeah. can't... The one tool you can't use is to go back to using and drinking. Oh, Scott uh, says that the 69 cent big gulp is his, is his answer. Scott Wick. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go for that. I'm just happy to have him participating. He's a... He's a superstar. I will say, though, you know, and, and that's sort of like a, a toss-away joke line, but uh, there have been a lot of times where I've felt the, cr- the craving for like a beer or something that if I go out and I have a big soda, it gone, does the trick. Or a big glass of water, you know? Yeah. Because it's just like what I am really am is I'm hungry. I'm not thirsty for a drink, you yeah. know, or something. And if I put something in there, just the very act of drinking a drink, whether it have alcohol in it or not, you know, takes care of the thing. Yeah. Like, don't drink alcohol, but you know what I mean? It's like putting your body through the motion of picking up the drink and drinking it, um, yeah. but not actually doing it. And it also helps if you're at it, and we'll talk about some barbecues we had, but oh, yes. just the very act of holding a drink at, like, a wedding or yeah. a barbecue, it, it eliminates a lot of the issues some people run into of being offered a drink right. or someone seeing you not drinking and go, what the hell? Why aren't you drinking? I had a hell of an experience of that last week. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it on the life? Do you know where I was? Uh, Were you at the Yes concert? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I was at the Um, Yes concert. And... uh, Fucking disconnected me. Yeah. Yeah, I recorded that at the show. Bootleg. More bootleg than I was hoping for, but the, the board didn't work. Well, John Anderson kicked major ass. Yeah, we saw John Anderson, who, for those of you who are under the age of 90, is the uh, is the uh, lead singer from the uh, classic version of Yes. That's right. And Nat and I went to see him last Wednesday in sort of a reprise of our first mandate that we had uh, years ago when both of us were still... Uh, actively <laughs> drinking like you know. fish. Um, yeah. But yeah. we went to the show last week and it was John Anderson. He was playing with a group of kids from like one of these schools of rock. Yeah, you know? it was really interesting. There's like 20 kids on stage yeah, playing different so, instruments at different songs. And it worked. I mean, it wasn't, you know, you it wasn't yes, yes, but it was like, he. I mean, he's just great. But anyway, as soon as we got there, and and this is, I had been to, the early part of the week, I was in scout camp up in the woods. Like Scouting. No cell phone service except for like five minutes a day. I'm just kind of stuck out there in the middle of nowhere. And I wasn't thinking clearly because I bought the ticket for that show the same day that I got back. So I got back at like noon after not like sleeping at all for a week. And yeah. I'm, I'm out there and I'm sweating my ass off for a whole week, you know, trying to like 
take charge of and watch and take care of like 27 other people, other people's yeah. children. Oh. And, uh, I got in there and, you know, we went up to the bar and I wanted to get a diet Coke, but you ordered a Shirley Temple and yeah. I was like, and it comes and it's this beautiful, beautiful liquid, like sweating. Yeah. It's like got this, the swirls of the red grenadine in mm-hmm. there and it's got the seven up and the ginger ale. Ginger ale. And I was like, I got to have one of those. Yeah. Man. I have to have one of those. And it was probably the most delicious thing that I ever drank. Wow. Because I was so dehydrated from a week of sweating my <laughs> ass off in the woods and drinking like lake water, treated lake water, that it was like, and then and then you backed me up and, and got me another one. That's right. We had yeah, two yeah. of them. I and I asked them if they had non-alcoholic beer and they said yes. And I was like, that is so, un- the idea of like drinking something that tastes like beer right now is so unappealing yeah. to me. That's like Shirley Temple yeah. does the trick. I want a Shirley Temple. Yeah. And I, I would have been embarrassed to order that myself because of some... I don't know, some misplaced idea that men shouldn't belly up to a bar and order a Shirley Temple. You but. see, I use that and I love throwing it out there because it's it can be funny. Like, yeah. why is this guy ordering a Shirley Temple? Yeah. So I do it as like partially shtick and partially because I like Shirley Temples. And it's a nice replacement drink. If you're at a bar and you want to order a made drink, yeah. Shirley Temple. That bartender, to her credit, was like zero, yeah. nothing. She was like, I don't know what she was thinking, but she didn't say anything. She, she just was like, was like, here you go. She's like, don't make eye contact. Right. Don't, eye contact. <laughs> don't, don't talk to these creepy men. Um, uh, yeah. So the, that was a great the, show. The yes concert was awesome. Did it's you feel like a, drinking at the Yes show? No. No, me either. Not at all. Not, not even a little bit. And oh, you know why? Why? The two drunk. reasons. The two drunk guys that came up to me. Right. Yeah. Mike makes friends with all of the drunk Yes fans. <laughs> well... This one guy, he turns around, a classic Long Islander, right at the set break. You hear him, he's like, can I ask you a question? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, sure. That's when I pretended yeah. like I didn't hear and looked away. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Mike's I got it. He's like, what makes a guy like your age into this kind of music? Like, first of all, he tried to tell me it was the 60th anniversary of the Close to the Edge record. And Is I'm like, old? I'm like, it's it's 50 years. He's like, it's 60. I'm like, it's really- it Says it up on 50. the wall. I know. I, I, don't make me tap the sign. You know, <laughs> it's right up there. He's like, okay, whatever. He goes- uh, what, what year were you born? I go, um, 68. He goes, oh, oh, you're old. Yeah, you're older than I thought. You don't look old and yeah. uh, tired like me. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, I, at this point I was, I'm a little annoyed cause I was going to be like, well, maybe if you'd, you know, stop drinking 20 pints a night and, yeah. you know, go out and exercise every once in a while, you'd look a little better. Yeah. But I, I, I didn't say that, but, yeah. um, he looked like Methuselah. He was, he's not looking healthy and I don't think he was that much older than me. No, he's probably Maybe younger. Maybe he was like 60. I bet you he was younger no, and it made no him way. even more angry. I was like, I grew up on this music, you know, and then he left me alone. And then as he was leaving, he's like, you should look older. He said to me, <laughs> like, fuck you, dude. Uh, yeah. yeah. But then this other guy in a Grateful Dead t-shirt came staggering up to me <laughs> right before they played Roundabout. He's like, yeah, I knew they were going to play Roundabout. It's a <laughs> your show. I heard that one. I was like, oh, for oh, Christ's sake, dude. man. Well, you that guy was shit-faced. And you know what annoys me, though? You know what really grinds my gears? What grinds your gears, Peter? Uh, <laughs> yeah, good. Um, <laughs> the fucking drunks at the bar grind my gears, man. You're sitting there, you're trying to listen to them play like oh, some yeah. soft shot, and there's these fucking knuckleheads that were standing up there yammering away. Like, you want to go to a bar? Just go to a bar and get drunk. Why pay like... 75 bucks or whatever for a ticket and then just stand there and drink your pints and not even listen to what's going on on stage like and that used to drive me crazy even yeah. when i was drinking and, and me too yeah. um i had the same experience when i would go see martin sexton who is a singer songwriter it's just usually acoustic guitar and his voice 
And it's a very like niche audience. Usually, it's expensive to see him for one,、mm-hmm. and it's usually a smaller room, and it's usually people who are there specifically to see him. Like you wouldn't wander into the Stephen Talk House and him against it and pay one hundred fifty dollars for a ticket. Just to be loud and drink. Apparently, some people do though, right? Well, yeah, I never understood it. I'd be there, and it's a soft song. It's one of his best, and everybody, I think, had to pay to get in. And there's always like a couple of guys who just don't seem to get it, and you have to go <gasps> and turn around and、right. give them a look, and it's just. Anxiety, like what is it? Like, is anybody out there someone who drinks and like talks loudly at concerts like this? Because we want to know why you do it.、Uh, so there was plenty of those at this one. I mean, Bob Weir of Grateful Dead, like they used to do that to him. He had a、uh, he had a space TRI out in、uh, Marin County, which is sort of like a performance space that he sort of rigged up to do um, sim- like. Um, I don't know couch tour. You know, you sit there and it's it's a video and it's an audio broadcast. But there's a bar there and people would get loud at the bar and a couple times from the stage he'd just be like, "Will you just shut the fuck yeah. up?" <laughs> I don't get John it. John Anderson is too nice to tell people to shut the fuck up. But、uh, hey guys, can you shut the fuck up? <laughs>、yeah. He's got such a high voice. It's so he、cool. does, but he sounds really good. I mean, his voice. And、uh, sorry if you're not a Yes fan, but <laughs> it's probably most of you are not. He's got to be seventy something. Seventy seven.、Right? He sounds just like the record and.、Uh, It's like, you know, sometimes there's different kinds of singing.、Um, Paul McCartney has a very easy time singing because he doesn't push his voice, but like,、um, and he's the same way. Not, like a Robert Plant is pushing and pushing、mm. when he sings. It's a different kind, and it's harder to maintain that in your seventies. But John Anderson, I mean, you could see the ease with which he hits those notes. I mean, he's barely straining. You can see it, just bam, and it's so good. But that comes from a, a style of singing that he's just very good at. And well, I,、uh, I also think the guys、know. that have achieved longevity in that business are the ones that took care of themselves. I mean, yeah. Did you ever hear、um, the Rolling what's what's the Rolling Stones singer?、Um, Mick Jagger. Did you ever hear him quote unquote sing today? I mean, there wasn't much singing to begin with, you know. But right it, with a John Anderson or a Paul McCartney,、um, they really just、uh, they well, hit it. A lot of the guys are just dead. Like you know, yeah. When you die, your voice deteriorates. It does. It's a, <laughs> the posthumous albums are never as good as the ones they make when they're alive. No, I agree.、Uh, I agree. Yeah, Jerry. I mean, Jerry Garcia's got dead twenty some odd years now. So, yeah. It, it occurred to me this morning, not for the first time, but that I am as old as Jerry Garcia was when he died. So you're at the age. At the I'm at the age this year. Would, didn't he die of、uh, some methadone poisoning or something? No, it was、uh, it was basically a heart attack. But it was, I mean, he had checked himself out of Betty Ford, and he was、um, convalescing at home, and he was just about to go into the Serenity Knolls、um, to、mm. finish his detox, or maybe it was like to get another, you know, thirty days in a program, and、wow. he died of a heart attack. But、God. I mean, he never took care of, care of himself, and he looked a lot older than fifty four. Can you, know? you imagine just like being at that place in your life at? At fifty four, to still be going back, like I think back on that、uh, that cycle of pain I was in, you know, going to rehab, coming out, tr- going to outpatient, trying to get sober, upsetting everyone in my life, including myself, losing jobs, and then going back in, you know, and going up and coming down. Like I never want to go through that again. No, but I mean, you also weren't Jerry Garcia, so like,、True. you know, he he. 
he didn't even have to buy drugs. Like, well, yeah. you know, listening to that interview with uh, Mountain Girl, Carolyn Adams, his wife on Dopey a couple of weeks ago, that was great. what really struck me about that, what, how she was relaying uh, about what those years were like for him. Uh, it really, really kind of tugged at my heartstrings because, you know, he, he made colossal efforts in the late eighties to get clean and he was clean for a number of years. And, but when you're Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead, yeah. like everywhere you go, people who are trying to get access to you to yeah. like, to be your friend are just going to give you drugs. And, and she was saying it, it was very hard for him to, to stay clean because every place he went, people were trying to put heroin under his face. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you're only as good as your options, you know, and like, yeah. um, same thing with Scott Weiland, I think with, uh, Stone Temple Pilots. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's plenty of famous musicians who famously could never get it and ended up dying because, you know, that lifestyle, I can't even remotely relate to that kind of life, you know, well, like, I mean, you who ta- knows? You talk about like. people, places, and things. I mean, if you're, if you're a working musician like that, it must be incredibly difficult to me, especially if you're Jerry, Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Uh, He's a, like a, a God. band that was sort of um, hatched in the, in a crucible of drug use, you know? Yeah. Um, but how, you know, the road from psychedelics to to black tar heroin is, is a windy and, you know, strange road indeed, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Anthony Kiedis famously, he wrote Scar Tissue of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, yeah. if, uh, I've read that book a couple of times. I mean, but it's like the same kind of thing. Like, you're trying to get clean, but you're just a god and people are just throwing right. naked women and cocaine at you. Yeah, and you start smelling your own farts yeah, and right. thinking like you, your shit don't, don't stink. By the way, uh, what do yeah. you think of his mustache? Anthony Kiedis' new mustache. He, look, it. he looks like Burt Reynolds, I think. I, I it's really it. weird. And put a shirt on, for Christ's sake. You're, yeah. not, you're not 25 For the love anymore. of God. Um, <laughs> Anywho, uh, should we talk about your wiener now? Yeah, so... Um, not your wiener, technically. It's your other party. Body. Right. Um, so, many of you know Is that... that for a segue? We shtick a lot about... Uh, <laughs> should I stop shticking now? No, keep shticking. <laughs> And then kicking. You kicking the camera. Uh, We shtick a lot about having to urinate frequently. um, (laughs) We do. Well, the truth is that um, this is kind of a problem, at least for me. And uh, and so my family, you know, it interrupts my sleep. Um, You know, it it just has gotten worse. And many men, I think, out there, maybe women too, in your middle ages, these types of things start to go wrong. Um, (laughs) Do women have this problem? I don't, I think... I feel like it's not the same or as bad or something because of the different plumbing. But Do you remember it, the commercial? It's a, it's a growing problem. A growing it's a going problem. problem. So in any case, I have my, been threatening to see a urologist about it for <laughs> a long time. And um, finally, it's gotten so bad, you know, that um, I finally did it. There was a urologist in my office building. And so I made the appointment. I went to see him and I got a proctological exam. How was that for you? It was shocking. <laughs> and it was unexpected, you know, because I didn't know what to expect. Well, you're into been... aliens. I mean, they, the probing was something unfamiliar to you? Ah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You know, maybe those are just traveling urologists uh, from the future <laughs> or something. <laughs> That's, un- we, we, unfortunately, our, plan- our planet is the... Uh, is the internship location right. for the galactic proctology space uh, <laughs> urology. Um, and so I was glad to have gone to the uh, urologist, but what I wanted was him to say, you have a, an enlarged prostate. Here is a pill to help you. Mm. Instead, he said, after checking, your prostate is fine. It's not enlarged. You're fine. But 
Uh, I think it was out of 35 points of concern, I scored 31. Oof. And uh, and he said that this was disturbing. <laughs> oh, dear. I said, you're telling me. Yes, I pulled my <laughs> pants up. And um, basically, I have to get... <laughs> Sorry, better late than ever. I have Go to ahead. do all of these blood tests, and um, I have to take a, a, a diary uh, of is my... Is this a uh, urine diary? It is. Use, Dear diary. It's called a voiding diary. <laughs> Dear diary. So it's, Today I was on the bus. and I. Uh, yeah, it was... <laughs> today I... So it's all about fluid intake. Mm. It's all about... Um, do you have to put down what you're, what's coming in as well as what's going out? Yes, I have okay. to do both. So that's why I haven't done it yet. Did you put that double espresso down? Oh, I would. Okay. I would. Right. But yeah, I'm supposed to, you know, because I do drink a lot of coffee. And so, you know... Um, between the blood tests and this voiding diary. And the thing that takes it is I have to do a special test to test the pressure of my urine stream. How do you test the pressure of a urine stream? It's called Euroflow. Covering the Middle Ages. (laughs) Euroflow, it's a test used to assess voiding problems. This test is quick and there are no catheters or needles used. You will start the test by voiding into a special toilet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that records the strength uh, and the time it takes to void and the amount of urine. And it's this whole situation. And God. Uh, I have to drink two 16-ounce bottles of water prior to the appointment. And it's some contraption that probably they're just doing it to bill out to insurance. Of course. I probably don't need it. But um, I'm, it makes me very nervous because what am I thinking? Like what everyone else thinks. Right. You, of course. It, it's cancer. Right. That's what I'm afraid. Have you had a blood test yet? No, it's tomorrow. Okay. Fasted? Um, they told me I didn't have to fast. Isn't that weird? Because mm. I said, do I have to? Like, no. Nope. Well, anyway, let's all say a prayer for Nat's prostate. I'm sure you're going to be fine. Yeah. It's just one of these middle-aged worry things, you know? Yeah, it sucks. But anyway, that was my exciting time visiting the urologist. Um, <laughs> and uh, speaking of the urologist, you know, you did this scout camp thing. <laughs> this is it has nothing segue. Segway. Yeah. Uh, Mike was away at a legit like scouting camp with Ben, and uh, were you like one of the um, proctors? <laughs> Is that a thing? <laughs> there's the there's the segue. I was a uh, <laughs> I was an assistant scoutmaster. So yeah, it was so okay. Scout camp is probably whatever you're picturing in your head. It's it's pretty much that. Um, well, I don't know what you sick people are picturing in your head, but it's uh, you know you go. We stayed in a cabin. The three three scoutmasters stayed in a cabin together. This is the first time I've slept in a cabin with two other men. It's the first time you slept a with a scoutmaster? <laughs> as far as I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we blocked those things out. Um, and that was weird, sleeping with two other guys. And there were other scoutmasters there. And then there was... Quote of the day. Well, I mean, at 54, how often do you find yourself bunking yeah, with, with other like, people, right? Not often. Not that often. Yeah, so what know? was that like? It was weird. Yeah. I didn't sleep much because I like, I'm very weird in particular about my sleep environment. Like yeah. I need to have earplugs in and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff uh, and white noise and all this shit. Yeah. And I didn't have any of that. In the woods. But I think, but 
all that aside, you know, and Ben had a miserable time. <laughs> really? Yeah. He's he claims he did, but I saw him. I think I saw him having fun. Um, yeah, I think I think I saw him having. Well, you know, he went off and did his little merit badge classes. He did a geocaching one, which was oh, pretty cool. cool. He learned how to set geocaches, and then he did a swimming one, which was cool. And then he did a fishing one, which wasn't cool because they didn't have any bait. They gave him like rubber worms yeah, and like work. all kinds of stuff, and he couldn't catch anything. And it was like two hours a day, and it was also hot. And the food was he liked the food. The food was actually atrocious. Oh, vague. Um, it was terrible in such small portions. Um, But um, what struck me is like several years ago, if I had been tasked to to go and be a scoutmaster and something like that, I would have been jonesing for a drink the entire time I was up there. And in fact, I might have even gone so far as to maybe try and sneak a little something, something up. In yeah, but I will say this: the scout camp is no nonsense when it comes to shit like that. There was, there was, and and even the guy, the guys in my, uh, the other scout masters that I was with, none of them. It's like the normal drunks brought right booze. None, of, right? No kidding. So some of the some of the guys, like I think I made a, a reference a couple of weeks ago about somebody who showed up at the scout meeting who had had one too many. Yeah, he was not there. Uh-huh. Did not participate. Um, and the guys who were there, you know, were not. Big boozers, which right. is interesting because in my mind, my perception of what men do together when they hang out in the woods mm. usually, <laughs> sorry, Greek military usually, usually involves drinking. Right. Right. But I didn't feel like I, I really en- enjoyed the experience in a way that I would not have had I been just waiting to get out of the woods to get back to you know, a bar or something on the way home so I could stop and have some drinks. And, right. and that made a big difference in the way, in the amount of fun that I had. I had more fun, I think, than Ben had. Because, you know, me and a couple of the other scouts, you have some free time, right? Yeah. So we went on a five-mile hike around the lake, like oh, the four of us, awesome. and it was really cool. And it was just like guys hanging out and talking, you know, without anybody being drunk, which is also kind of weird for me. Like, I don't, when in my adult life have I experienced hanging out with a bunch of guys on a camping trip and not been drunk. Right. Never, really. So that was the a first, and maybe it showed them, maybe they were thinking in the back of their heads like, huh, maybe do you think they were thinking, wow, I'm having fun without drinking? Or were they just thinking, man, I wish I had a drink? No, none of those guys are real big drinkers. Yeah. The, at least the guys who were there. You yeah, know? It gives you hope. It, it gives me hope for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, hope for you. I, I was like, this is great. I can do this, you know? And, and uh you know, even though it's it's almost three years now, you know, it still yeah. it still sits in the back of my head that you know I, I I'm having this experience and I'm having it without giving any of my mental real estate over to thinking about when I'm going to have a drink next. Yeah, and I've noticed too that the time I used to spend thinking about drinking or using is now replaced by. Th- thinking to myself, wow, I can't believe I don't want to drink or use, you know? So that's the phase I'm at too, where that's really primarily what I'm like surprised by. Same I don't as mind you. thinking about that, um, you know? It's like I'm constantly like proving to myself that, um, you know. But that needing the drink around five o'clock was like an itch yeah. that if I didn't scratch it, it would just drive me crazy. It was like a mosquito. As you scratch your as leg. As I scratch my leg. 
Um, so that's cool. So yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, and um, my son Noah came over to hang out with Ben while we were doing the show. I thought that was cool. Yeah, they're upstairs right now, uh, wheeling and dealing. Ben is selling Noah video games, and and apparently Ben is charging too much because your son was complaining vociferously. Yeah, he's trying to get away with as little money as possible. He was t- telling me his whole strategy. He's like, okay, when you're negotiating, you got to give a low price, and then he'll give a high price, and he's got the whole thing. Yeah, because I heard him. I heard Noah saying, "What? It's a piece of plastic." I offered you three dollars or something he's, like that. I was like, I was like, guys, just remember, you know, your friends don't don't let it get out of control, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was so uh, anyway. You um, me. You went over to your boss's house, right? Oh yesterday? my goodness. Um, yeah. So or Sunday, right? It's not Sunday. I, it was Saturday. Oh. So at this new job, you know, I've been at for about five months. Um, it, Recently, you know, things have been going better. It's still extremely stressful. And, um, you know, a major change happened where um, we had to let the uh, person I was supposed to be working with had to let her go because um, for a number of reasons, most of which is that she hadn't really been able to do anything due to God knows what. Um, and so that was stressful. Me, she doesn't listen to the podcast, does she? I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Um, but you know, she knows. She knows she couldn't. She couldn't really do it, and we couldn't afford to to keep um, dealing with it, honestly. And um, and so I was invited. Uh, the owner of the company was like, "I want to meet the family. You know, it's going to be a beautiful day Saturday. You know, come over for a swim." Oh, yeah. Nothing like spending Saturday with the boss. Yeah, yeah but, you know, it's weird because uh, he's a great guy. Uh, we had fun, but I still, you know, and I wasn't, like, worried that it would be terrible, but it's still awkward, you know. Of course. Like anytime yeah. it's like, let's have our families meet, you know, and it's like, all right, because then there's Very pressure. madman kind of thing going on there. Yeah, but you know what? We got there, I brought my kids, and they jumped in the pool, and he's a, he's a very affable guy. And Is he man in the barbecue? You know, we didn't, but we avoided barbecuing. Okay. So um, we ended up going out to dinner, but uh, he got to meet my wife. He got some time speaking to my wife and his mother showed up. So I got to meet his mother oh. and then his sister showed up because I think he had forgotten, although he says he didn't forget, but I'm thinking he forgot that there was 25 high school kids with his nephew in the high school chorus coming to his house. I think to like practice or something. Oh my God. And so we were sitting there, we were hanging out a bunch of hours, we jumped in the pool, just talking, you know, noshing. And um, <clears throat> then all of a sudden he's like, oh, my nephew's here with his, you know, his chorus. And so then we decided to all go out to dinner. Did they perform for you or did you hear them? I didn't get to hear them because we ended up leaving. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so, but no, it was a really great time. It made me feel... Um, Made me feel good knowing that, you know, I could have a personal relationship with someone. I may have to uh, have a long-term, you know, a long-term business relationship with. But if you can also be, you know, friends, um, I'm all for it. My my boss is... uh I consider him now after 15 years to be more of a friend than a, than a boss. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, you know, we're just people, you yeah. know, and, um, it's, it's good if we can, you know, see eye to eye and, um, it makes working a little bit, uh, more pleasant. Um, but he also, as some of you may know, I think I said that he knows about, um, some of the worst things that have ever happened to me because the person that used to work at the company, he told me, told him all about it oh. so he had full knowledge of uh, the od and uh and the fact that i was in recovery and so that was um interesting when he sort of approached me about it 
But luckily, he's extremely, you know, he's a psychologist. He's, you know, worked in the field a long time. So, I mean, you're going to run into addiction and things like that. So he's been really great about it. But he also knew that I did this podcast, and I told him I was reluctant to send him the link. And so I kind of made it clear that, like, you know what? I don't really think this is something you want to listen to. And right. I'm not 100% comfortable. And right. so I think it was yesterday or the day before he said to me, oh, hey, Nat, don't be mad. Uh, I found your podcast. Oh, and dear. I was like, how did you do that? And he was like, I just typed Nat and then podcast. <laughs> and I'm like... You're not hard to find. No. Yeah. And um, you know what? I don't care because... I haven't said anything on the show that I'm truly ashamed or embarrassed of. No. I feel like the act of airing it, and he knows me as I am today, and he always says he can't believe I used to be in that scenario. Even as a psychologist, you know, now he knows that, yeah, you can recover. You can go from A to B, and it is possible. Uh, so that was fun and a little bit nerve-wracking, but we had a good time. And uh, Mike, if you're listening out there, um, yeah, we had fun. What a, a, a testimony, a testimony, testament to his um, foresight and in giving you an opportunity, you know, and, and that's because a lot I of people, a lot of people wouldn't do that. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't take the chance. Yeah. And he knew within the first month, he told me right. about all of it. And, wow. uh, and I said, and he goes, you know what, but you know, he believes in second chances. And I'm like, this would be a fifth or sixth, but. Uh, but Still. that people can change <laughs> it. And, you know, he said all the right things. You know, yeah. it doesn't define you, and he's seen what I can do the way I am, and blah, blah, blah. So that was my weekend. It, it must be really interesting to have somebody know, like, because people at you know, my job now, they know that I don't drink, but they don't know, you know, the whole backstory. Yeah, um, he knows the worst thing that hap ever happened yeah, like, to me. There's nothing that addiction. they can ever be found out about you that right. is, you know. It's all out there. Yeah. So my employer... Basically knows the worst thing, pretty much. I, I've been as I as I drift towards the third year. I've been like I've been entertaining these fantasies, like uh -oh. of just um, does it involve Cub Scout camp or <laughs> no? God, uh, that's sick. <laughs> Why go just there? Tying it in uh, of just like making a post on social media, like like just being just putting it all out there because like. At this point, it's so funny, like, the things you worry about when you first quit, like, somebody yeah. finding out, or this, that, and, and, like, you get a couple years down the road, and all of a sudden, you're like, I, I really don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, not only that, like, you, feel, does it you make? feel good about yeah. what you've accomplished. You yeah. almost want to brag a little bit. I'm very, like, I'm very comfortable in my skin now in a way that I wasn't during mm. that first year. Like, I was always worried someone was going to find out my yeah. secrets or whatever, you know, and now I'm just like, you know what, my life is my life. It's out there, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a healthier attitude. I mean, it's, of course, important to remember that you may be judged for something like that. But I find it's I more fired. fired. <laughs> but I feel a lot better having it all out there. You know, as much as probably I didn't want my boss to know that particular thing about me. Right. I do. It does give me some security feeling because I know he can't, like, find something out and then fire me mm -hmm. now. Because there's nothing else, like... I wonder how much of the the feeling of the worry about that is like how much of that is sort of like latent like control tendencies. Like you want to control the information, you want to control the narrative, you want to control what people think about you, you you know. And re and really like you can't control any of that stuff, right? right. Like people are going to think about what you what they're going to think about you. You know, and no matter what you want them to think, like you can sort of try and create 
a structure for people to operate in when they're when they're looking at you like oh you know mike is this or mike is that but really you know on the inside you're totally different but um but at the end of the day like trying to c- control people and what they think about you yeah. is exhausting it's, it's almost ex- and and it's futile exactly yeah completely exhausting completely futile so why not just put it all out there put it all out there let the chips or is it the chits fall where they may i think it's chit is it? is it? I always thought it was chips, but I do too. Like potato chips. I was like, like I think it's chips. I always envision a big bag of potato chips being ripped open well, and the what? chips falling where they may. So what's a chit? Uh, something with gambling, right? Maybe. So that chits fall where they may. Well, look. But it on, up. The, on the other hand, though, <laughs> on the other hand, there is there are reasons that why everybody in the world doesn't need to know everything about you. Right. right? Anonymity. That's the ex- flip side. You know, has developed in recovery for a good reason. But is it? Is, it, is just keeping a part of you to yourself, is that anonymity or is that just some kind of self-protective mechanism, so, you know? I think it can be self-preservation and certainly that's how I used to view it and still do at some point, you know. You don't want to make your life any more difficult than it already is by, you know, putting things like that out there when, you know, we don't know how people feel because it's a very, you know... The, the world is same thing with coming out as gay and if you come out as gay today it's very different than if it was 1982 yeah you know so as the world seems to be changing and we're putting these things out there i feel like it's getting more um more easy or easier to um to be honest with uh, with our you know our recovery and i think it, in the end it is better i think it's also very weird though because in the in the 1980s if you had a drinking or a drug problem there was no social media. Like, why do I feel compelled like to go onto social media and announce to the world this thing about me? Right? Yeah. Wait. Let's Which, go like, back. Who would ever do that? Like, you couldn't even do that. Let's let's You'd rewind. Have to take out an ad in the paper. I want to rewind a second. Okay. You're saying I feel like this didn't get enough uh, and attention. You want to make a post on your personal page? Um, Paul Churchill calls it burning the ships. Right? Yeah. You take away the sting. Like, you're out right now. Anybody who you'd worry about knowing about your history with drugs and alcohol knows, right? They know. Yeah, even our friends, the the parents of... I mean, they don't know the details, but it's fully out there that Nat doesn't drink because he used to drink too much. Right. They don't need to know all of the details. Yes, right. But I I don't know. So, So, some of it, like, is this weird confessional society that we live in where we feel compelled to put all of our private business out for public consumption. Right. That's social media, like so, you're saying. So there wasn't a way to do that. But I wonder like, you know, what psych, sort of psychology is at play there? Because, you know, someone like, you know, Paul Churchill said, you know, he was very big on, you know, making a Facebook post like to announce that he had quit drinking and all this stuff. And I'm thinking like, you know, that option didn't exist for, you know, all of time until like the last right. 10 years. Well, it's not everybody's business either. It's not. Uh, but know. so why, so why like when you have this information inside that you feel like you want to get out, mm. like why, why do I feel that way? I guess I, I'm trying to, to, to explore that. Like why was I on my run this morning thinking about writing that and what, what that would look like and why do I want to put that out into the world? Is I there think, anything good that can come of that? I think it's because deep down inside you want to be accepted by your peers as your authentic self, not some 
you know, um, fake, you know, image of you. You've got a real desire because you really have learned to love who you've become. Whereas in the past, maybe you didn't and you would, you had more of a, a hiding, you know, style on, you know, yeah. you didn't want everybody to know everything, but now you're feeling good about yourself. And you're like, yeah. I think everyone would like me better if they knew this, you know? <laughs> so it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a craven desire for more likes. I think so. <laughs> not, not, not quite so simply, but I think it's a desire to have your authentic self out there, mm. you know, because you like yourself. And that's the most expeditious way to do it is that's to right. announce to everybody in social media. People announce I don't know, everything. I got to think about that because maybe there's other ways to do it. You what know? about there's, I, my opinion would be, I wouldn't necessarily do that. What I would do is I would, um, Think of the people in my life who I know don't know mm. and who I really want them to understand who I am today mm -hmm. and maybe speak to them or bring it up in a conversation with them. So like all thousand people on your Facebook page, you know, 10,000, 10,000, 10,000 followers. So you don't, no, I'm, I it's like a couple hundred people, maybe just the people who you actually care about knowing, but that's more difficult and more passive aggressive than going to each one and saying, you know, or having that conversation. It's sort of like a reverse amends, like you travel to each person individually and tell them that you're like, I've been a good person. I've been a, been a good I person. I know. I was a drug addict. It's so, it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I get off on that ta tangent, but uh, it's just something that was on my mind lately. But mm. what do you guys think? You know, is there any value in doing something like that or... Uh, you know, what do you think? Just let sleeping dogs lie. Let them as lie. It were. And, um, you know, Mike R at middleagedrecovery.com. And, um, did you want to cover anything else in our life update before we move on to a very exciting episode? Uh, yes, I do. I want to cover two things. Go for it. Oh yeah. yeah I want to, I want you to talk about the fireman guy. Oh, that right. made an appearance in episode 86, I think it was. Yeah, so um, we had a barbecue at my house on Sunday. Only reason you weren't invited is because it was... Yeah, what the fuck was the name? I know, because I was like, oh, why didn't Mike come with a... Uh, but it was like Max, my younger son's oh, okay. friend's thing. Like, my wife is... is Plus, I was having... Right, you had, I had a, a barbecue anyway. for my father-in-law. So, but my wife is making an effort to make friends with the parents. And if some of you out there who have had kids know what this is like when you are trying to get your kid to like be part of the fun, and you have to make friends with the parents who you like, right? If it's possible, so um, Max has got some cool friends, parents that Christine really likes to hang out with. I like them; they're nice people. They live nearby. So this was like her first time like entertaining them at the house. Ah, and it was a lot nothing of Nothing at all stressful about getting ready for that. New. Uh, and it was the day after being with my boss at his house. Uh, so, <laughs> what a weekend. Yeah, it was a rough weekend. But it was a lot of fun. One of the, the parents um, where I spoke about, he had a really rough time at, a, at one of these gatherings um, uh, drinking. And well, he really, I mean, you told the story, I think, right? He embarrassed he was, himself yeah. really bad and... Um, he was already a known, like it, it was known that he liked to drink and could get drunk and the wife sort of joked about it, you know, with the side glance at him type of thing, mm -hmm. you know. And so, but after this one, uh, and he didn't like come to me or anything and ask about it. It's just, I found out that he hadn't had a drink in three months. Booyah. Um, 
and uh, I thought that was really interesting. So he was at my house on Sunday, and we sort of got into some of that because we were all still in that getting to know each other phase a bit, you know. Uh, and and the, the, the topic came up about drinking because he's not drinking anymore, and they all knew him as a drinker. But they've always known me as I've been refusing drinks since day one. And so my story is a little bit known. Uh, they know I don't drink. And now he's another one not drinking. But the conversation at the table um, was very pro-abstinence and, and really... Coming from him. Coming from, well, from him, but the, the reaction to everyone, it wasn't like, you don't want to drink, you'll never have fun again. It was a lot of people saying similar things like, you know what, I've been cutting down too, or mm. I've been thinking about quitting for a bit. And it was kind of interesting. So like the, the abstinence culture is sort of, I think, getting more well-known, more prevalent, more acceptable, I think. And so that was really great. Do you think when people sort of drift out of their 30s into their 40s and they have kids and stuff, it's sort of like a natural progression towards using less alcohol? I think maturity, you know, should bring that along. And I've talked about that a little bit on how I've been observing that I've really just grown up a little bit. And, uh, and I don't like to reduce sobriety to maturity, but for me, and I think for a lot of people, yeah, like a lot of people do just age out of that kind of behavior, you know, if you're capable of it. Right. Well, that's, that's the, was my next point. Like Like clearly he wasn't an alcoholic to that extent where he couldn't stop. Because oh, wow. he just kind of put his hand up and stuff. He didn't go to AA. He didn't do anything. Well, that's to me. That's not surprising at all. I mean, well, it's most people, but I couldn't do that. A lot of people out there that I met in rehab weren't able to do that. You know, but maybe that was maturity. Maybe he grew up finally or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe he made. Uh, what, what do they do in smart recovery? You make a cost benefit analysis, whether it be informal or yeah. for, formal, and he, you decide like where. What side of the the you know the axis that drinking falls on you mm-hmm. know and what you really want out of life and th- and that is informed by maturity. I don't think when you're twenty you know you're really thinking about right. things in those terms you know. So it's I think it's much harder when you're younger to sort of pull out of that nosedive without some social structure right. like AA provides. But when you get older, I, I I wonder. I mean, so he as far as you know, he's not gone to a twelve step program. He's or not gone to a twelve step. When I asked what his secret was, however, he said, my secret is that the FDNY doesn't test for marijuana anymore. <laughs> so he's using, California. He's using um, uh, cannabis to sort of help him work through mm-hmm. those cravings. And he wasn't like stoned at this party or anything, but he said to me like with a look of severe, like real relief, he's like, it's so much better than drinking. Oh, yeah. I miss it sometimes, but, you know, it gets me through the night a little bit, you know, when I get that anxiety to drink. And so mm-hmm. he's using, and it's made his life a lot better. So he's enjoying a better life at home with his family because he's, you know, quit drinking, but he's, you know, harm reduction and right. keeping his anxiety in check a little bit. Would it be better if he went to a doctor and they gave him Prozac? I don't know. Right. Is Prozac that good for you? I mean, uh, you know, I so. think. Marijuana is probably better for you than than taking some kind something right. that screws with you know. Yeah, so that was really chemistry cool. like that. But that that's really interesting. I mean, I've I've heard a lot of anecdotal evidence about uh, the use of cannabis for you know easing the transition from yeah. you know maybe he'll make it maybe someday he'll just put the cannabis down. Yeah, you know? but if he doesn't, is that a horrible thing? Well, I don't know. As long as he can function. Yeah. 
So yeah. we'll see. But well, that was a really great time. As long as he's happy with himself, that's what matters. Yeah. Yeah. I just got one other thing I wanted to touch on uh, in the this update, which is we're at an hour and two minutes. Yeah, we, we got a lot to talk, talk to about. one another in a while, have we? <laughs> um, so I'm sitting in the other room today. Speaking of like friends, parents. Okay, there's the there's the segue. Uh, when my son Jack was a kid, he went to um, he went to a, a pre-K in St. Paul's, the Apostle Church in Jericho, right? They had a, they had a pre-K program ha- half day. And he went with this kid who lived in Oyster Bay, a uh, very, very wealthy uh, family. Um, and then when we moved to Oyster Bay, then they became friends in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, all the way up through probably close to like sixth grade. And, um, but it, the house, it was always a very strange situation in their house because mm. the, 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 Kid's father was American. The mother was Chinese, but the the father was very like um, he like wore tracksuits and chains and stuff. And you kind of got the always mafia? got like a weird little mafia vibe off the guy. But he was also, and I and I came to realize this towards the end of their friendship. Um, he was bipolar and he had a, a severe drinking problem. Okay, so yeah. I did not know this, but. Through another person in town, word got back to me that he eventually, his wife threw him out of the house because he pulled a knife on somebody at Dell's and tried to stab somebody. So I know this guy. I don't know because there's no other kids in the family. It was just that one kid who was Jack's age. Interesting. I'm not going to say his name. And you I'm should not, out him right now. I'm not. I'm not because he had, he had his issues. He had his mental health issues, and clearly he had the the booze issues. And he was, you know, I. I the bipolar, I, I put my finger on right away because I'd go to pick up Jack sometimes and he'd be up like cleaning his gutters at like 1130 at night with a flashlight and a, and a toothbrush kind of a deal. Sounds like meth. Uh, maybe, you know. <laughs> but anyway, um, at the time that Jack went over there, I mean, very wealthy family. They had limos, they had drivers, they had nannies, the whole thing. Like they were always taking the, the boys out for like, wow. you know, carnivals, this and this guy always had a big wad of cash he was flashing around. Huh. And, um, but the wife, there was always these, Chinese people who were coming over and they were building some kind of big school or some kind of Chinese Disneyland in upstate New York. It was always very unclear what was going on, but there was always like business people in meetings. And I'm sitting uh, doing some work today and I hear a scream and Aaron is like, look at this. And on CNN, there's a picture of this kid's mother with, <laughs> with Donald Trump and Melania. What? And she had just been arrested <gasps> For running this scam, um, she like Chinese Disneyland stole scam. like twenty seven million dollars from Ooh. investors and promised like all these Chinese people green cards, like if they would invest in this. Thing. But the whole thing was like it, Total it scam. didn't exist. Yeah. What? So, um, and you know, our, we were, of course were theorizing that the father turned her in and there's whole wow thing that, after they um, broke up yeah yeah but it was it's just kind of crazy and I, and I feel really bad for the kid because Jeez. even though jack like is not really friends with him anymore that kid like we were like the most normal home life that he had because he would come over here right. and he'd spend like days over here really yeah just like two or three nights in a row and wow. um you know the father's crazy now the mother's going federal and federal indictment she may be going to prison and this kid you know you 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 wonder you know, um, you know how much the 
alcoholism and all this stuff, you know, together. Yeah. You know what, you know what, what that does to an, another generation and stuff, but you know, I'm not going to use any names, but if you guys want to Google this thing, you, I'm sure you can find wow. it. It's uh, just crazy. Yeah. It's out there. I mean, um, it doesn't help. Like one of the things, um, Dr. Mike, my, uh, the owner of the company I work for when we talk about it, and uh, sometimes, uh, you know, we're talking about something and I'll say something. I always look through the, the, the uh, lens of addiction. And But he made a good point, you know, when I was talking about someone uh, and I said, oh, maybe if they just got sober or something. And he goes, you know, they have, he was talking about this one person. He goes, that's borderline personality disorder mm. and stopping using isn't going to fix that. Right. You know, and so at some point it's, you can't blame addiction anymore, but it certainly doesn't help. And at least when you get your uh, so- sober baseline, you can then get a, an accurate idea from a doctor on what the underlying issues are, if they're fixable. So, you know, that's that's a case where we just will never know. Yeah, I mean, you can't begin to treat the underlying issues until you stop the the booze, right? You yeah, can, believe me, I tried. How can you fix your own your head if you're fucked up all the time? Yeah, I tried. I mean, when I was struggling um, way before I got anywhere near recovery or got in trouble, I was drinking a lot. And, um, you know, I was having issues with my wife at the time where we might have been dating. And I remember going to, I'm like, I got to go see a psychiatrist. I got to go. See. And I went and none of it made, like, it, none of it mattered because... Mm. He was just like, well, how much do you drink? And I actually was, I wasn't even fully honest and it was too much. And he's like, well, you got to stop drinking before we can really work together. And I was just like, it's impossible. That means I can't get better. Right. I never considered until much later till I I was forced by the court, but I never really thought, you know, that's an option. I can stop drinking and then address, you know, when you're in that state, it's extremely difficult. I, I had that exact experience. I went to a Zen Buddhist monk who was also a psychotherapist. Oh, wow. And he told me, I must have mentioned this on the show before, but he asked me how much I drank and I told him, oh, I don't know, eight or nine pints a day day most (laughs) days of the week. And he was like, well, you have to stop. Like you have to go to AA and you know, I want next time you come back here, I want you to tell me how many AA meetings you went back. You went to, and I was, and like, I was like, well, fuck, I'm just going to lie to him. So I came back, I went back and I was like, yeah, I went to AA meetings and you know, and then I did the same thing. Then I I, like, I fired him as a therapist like a week later. Yeah. Cause it's his fault that you can't stop drinking. Right. It's ridiculous. I did the same thing. If you guys have stories about, um, going to, therapist and psychiatrist and trying to get better without getting sober write us <laughs> have that work out for you yeah because i think a lot of us have that same scenario you know early on you go and then you're lying to the therapist which does you what nothing it's, it's just total flushing waste. money down the toilet and then um and then you inevitably or i inevitably turned around and blamed them but really <laughs> right. it was this obvious thing so much crazy uh, mike terms. r yeah. at middleagesrecovery.com and with that i think we should take a short break and we're going to get back to the meat of the issue where we'll be discussing how creativity and addiction and drug use um, has been tied together for so many years and we're going to take apart that myth about, um, about using and creativity and we'll be right back after these words.
Well, I didn't see the honeymooners when it was first broadcast. For Christ's sake, I'm just. Didn't you watch that when you were homesick ever? No, Maybe it was different reruns. And we're back. And we're back. So thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so today we've decided to take a closer look at the myth of creativity being fueled by addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all know that there's this old saw out there that artists and writers and other people who make their living off creativity don't want to quit or don't want to get into recovery because they're afraid that it'll kill the goose that laid the golden egg, be it a novel or music or what have you. Yeah, and people love to say, oh, Edgar Allan Poe was an opium addict, and when they'll famously they'll name some, like, oh, Jimi Hendrix, you know, was on acid all the time as though this validates it somehow. Well, I guess there's a long list of creative geniuses yeah. that have uh, have also battled addiction, including Beethoven, which I did not. Oh, really? Uh, I wonder what he was addicted to. Well, Vic, Vic's vapo rub, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Baudelaire, Balzac, Byron. It looks like somebody stopped at the bees, oh, and then jumped to Wordsworth, Keats, uh, Berlois. I don't know who that guy is. Hemingway, we don't, but we know he ended right. up. I read his daughter or his granddaughter's book. Mario Stravinsky, Hemingway. Faulkner, and then of course you have Mar- Bob Marley, Louis Armstrong, Frida Kahlo, uh, and the members of the Twenty Seven Club. You know who the Twenty Seven Club are? Uh, who are they? The Twenty Seven Club are like Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, yeah. Pigpen from The Grateful Dead. Um, uh, the most famous uh, one, Jimi Hendrix. The 90s. Um, oh, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. These are all uh, artists who died at age twenty seven, either by suicide or drug overdose. Yeah, right. I think it's coincidence. I mean, so many of them have died of drug overdoses that there's bound to be 20 that all died at 27. I, I guess. Know. I don't know. Anyway, the 19th century philosopher Frederick Nietzsche once opined, mm. uh, for art to exist, for any sort of aesthetic activity to exist, a certain physiological precondition is indispensable. Intoxication. He was, Nietzsche uh, was an asshole, though. He was a famous drunk, right? Or wasn't was he? he on something at all times? I don't and know. Didn't he die of chlamydia? <laughs> or syphilis or something. Yeah, it was syphilis, right, right. He did. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it goes to the point that, you know, you've all heard this out there. You know, Van Gogh, um, he was, you know, people would say, oh, he was drunk or something, but... I never, I don't know if I ever believed it, but I definitely, it's like this myth that it's in the back of our minds. Yeah, and it, and it takes up residence there if you are a, a creative person, if you're a musician or if you're a writer, and, and, it, and it's a, it forms the basis for a very good excuse for you to continue to use drugs. Um, I remember, you know, being in college and then and reading all these books by guys like William S. Burroughs yes. and Charles Bukowski mm-hmm. and Henry Miller and all these guys that were just w- wasted all the time. Right. And, but the, the way they wrote about it was so romantic uh, yes, that it know. was just incredibly appealing. So yeah. as you were swirling the drain in drug addiction, you could, in your mind, create this incredible fantasy that you were living this artistic, this beautiful artistic experience. Meanwhile, the only thing that you're really creating is misery. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? true. And that's that whole beat poet generation. Yeah, too. right. Well, yes. And the musicians. Kerouac and Ginsburg and all these guys. I mean, who, who yeah. you know, arguably produced some very incredible works of art and literature. Right. You know, while, but was that like 
because of their intoxication or in spite of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pollock was another one. I remember seeing that um, movie about his life, and oh, yeah. he was a bit of Harris alcoholic. Was the, uh, Ed Harris, yeah, very yeah, yeah. and. Um, yeah, it's interesting, and it, and there's been some studies, and people we've we've got an article called uh, "A Closer Look at the Myth of Creativity Being Fueled by Addiction," mm. and it's where they're sort of covering that myth and really just pointing out that more than likely, it's just people who uh, suffer from addiction or are p- people who are creative have similar like crossover. Um, Uh, things that they do typically like it starts by saying many artists writers and others who make a living off their creativity are very hesitant to quit drugs or alcohol because they are afraid it will affect their ability to produce original work this notion of drinking and drug use fueling creativity has been widespread for quite some time the truth is that using drugs or alcohol actually impairs a person's creative ability and makes it much more difficult for them to be productive the myth that links substance abuse to creativity may have arisen due to the fact that many creative people also have a higher susceptibility to addiction, which mm. is kind of what we were saying there. Um, um. Creative types are more, much more sensitive, perceptive, and able to think in unique ways than the average person. A person who is highly creative also happens to be more likely to suffer from mood disorder, which is another interesting aspect of this. So why is it that creativity and addiction seem to reside within the same person. Because it seems to me that what you, what you read there, what the author is saying in this article is basically that creativity and addiction go hand in hand, that they do support one another in some sense. Well, uh, the link between the two, creativity and an addictive personality, can be better understood by taking a closer look at the characteristics associated with addiction and having a creative nature. According to this article, some of the shared characteristics include a strong tendency toward impulse behavior. Okay. um, Placing higher value on nonconformist beliefs, behaviors, and ideas. Uh, another one is needing regular stimulation and excitement. Um, yeah, always looking for that next thing, that adrenaline, like, you know, this job, it's like always high pressure and can you make it? And then you get the dopamine spike well, when so, you make so, it. So it is, a lot of it is tied up with dopamine, isn't it? Because yes. if, you're, if you're a risk taker, you're also more prone to addiction because you need to get... Uh, you need to push the envelope, right? Right. Studies have shown that addicts and artists share impaired dopamine function in, oh, in the brain. Okay. So low there levels of dopamine. In other words, low dopamine levels cause them to experience less pleasure. And as a result, they have to work harder in order to feel good. Creativity during recovery. Even though um, it is another thing like I, I relate to this because I was using drugs uh, in high school, in college, for the express purpose of being creative. Right. So I got myself to, and and it would it was going well. I thought because when I first started using uppers, it was like 
now I can, I have this whole album in my head <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, and I just have to get it out within the next 24 hours and I've got 24 <laughs> hours to do it and let's do it. a big bag of blow and, and <laughs> I'm going to get it out. I used to have the guitar part worked out in my head, the bass, keyboards, production ideas, how many times I'm repeating things, lyrics, like, and then ultimately it would be too much crap on top of it, like a Prince record, just like too many <laughs> tracks, you know, but once I stopped, you, it got to a point where if I wasn't using, I had like anhedonia, I was completely devoid of creativity, it completely like, I was convinced that I needed it. Yes, but I think the problem is people don't push through that. Right. To get to the other side. You know, you get stuck in that area and you think like you have a block and you're never going to get past it. But really, while you're recovering, your brain is rewiring itself. And, and all of that stuff that makes you the creative person that you are is still there. Yeah. It just needs to come out in a, in a different, less, you know, self-destructive way. I mean, I remember, you know, I don't think I ever played the guitar in front of a other human being unless I had a bunch of of drinks and oh yeah you know like i just couldn't have i did not have but like if i was practicing in a studio i i remember very specifically knowing that there was a certain amount of booze i could drink that would get me loose enough to play well mm. but if i went over that line yeah. it would all fall apart and it was the same thing with with weed because i would smoke some weed and i i and things would be great and then if I smoked too much weed, I couldn't tell the difference between the sound coming out of the monitor and the sound coming out of yeah. my, my, my friend's monitor, and I get very confused. And I don't know if you watch Family Guy. I did. We were talking about, but do you remember there was an episode where uh, Lois and Peter uh, recreated the, uh, they had a band, a folk duo in high school, and they um, had this idea that they were, going out and putting on performances and everybody loved them and it was great. And then uh, what really was happening is they were smoking so much weed that they were just yes. lying around going blah, 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 like that. I did see that one. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the, that there's a lot of like distorted self-perception also about the, the level of creativity that you're capable of when you're high. Yeah. You know? I mean, somebody like Hemingway, I guess, can sit there and drink wine until he passes out and write, you know, um, the sun also rises or whatever else. Right. But I actually think find Hemingway to be incredibly boring yeah. to read, but that's, you know, and, and nobody likes to say that, but I think he was boring. And then he eventually blew his head off with a shotgun when he got older. So the man wasn't he had healthy. some untreated mental health issues, I would say. And, um, uh, and who knows what he could have produced had he been sober, you know, right. I find it, it's, you know, I had the same experience when it came to performing, but you know, if I was with a band and, or with an act that I was playing with, I never, like maybe once I, I did an upper or like a cocaine or something or Ritalin and I regretted it and I never did it again. On but stage, you mean? On stage yeah. because when I was on an upper, I could, was shaking. I couldn't because mm. I'm trying to play some difficult right. parts, which normally my muscle memory takes over and I can just do it. But when I'm like that, I have to think about everything because it's just not working. So I was able to not... Uh, drink that much like I would have a beer just to put it on my amp because it looked cool uh -huh. but I didn't get drunk until after when it comes to writing music and writing things or being creative I needed something hmm that's interesting because you look at yeah well you look at a guy like you know Hemingway or some of these poets and everything and you really you have that a bit of the Jerry Garcia syndrome I'm going to call it because people are telling them that they're you know, they're geniuses. Like Hemingway was a genius right. in his own lifetime. So yeah, he's like, told me that. Yeah. Well, 
But I mean, look, you got a, you have a, you have a record out, right? I mean, you wrote some songs, you know, you, yeah. you know, you, you had a, a, you know, a career of sorts as a musician, right? I mean, yeah, but I was never fully pleased with what I came up with, you know, yes, like anybody? I was always, I don't know. <laughs> some people think they're great. Um, yeah. But, um, it took me quite a bit of time. Like I remember lamenting once I finally gave over to, um, to recovery, I definitely felt that where, um, you know, once you stop using, you have this like deficit of dopamine and creativity that has to pass. Um, and but that the, comes back, doesn't it? I mean, it does. Um, many, many people new to recovery find that they experience diminished create creative abilities. This may have something to do with the fact that their brains are adjusting to the loss of drugs and alcohol. It may take several months for the feelings of fogginess to completely dissipate. People who have been sober for longer periods of time find that their concentration and mental functioning become sharper than ever. In the meantime, there are a few things a person can do in recovery to enhance their creativity. Okay. Do you want to hear them? Sure. There's only a few. <laughs> well, the first thing they list here, uh, practice meditation. Uh, the second is... I would say and visualization. And visualization. Right. Um, the next what one is, is visualization that like you closing your eyes and you see your goal, you like envision the person you want to be. Well, or, or to, to make it even more pedestrian, if you're trying to like write or you're trying, okay, never mind. Go on. Cause maybe this isn't another, uh, uh, one regular exercise okay, such as yoga good, or walking, good. That helps journaling. Ah, that's where I was waiting yes. for you to get to. Journaling. Have you heard of this? Um, have you heard of this program called the Artist's Way? No. Okay. The basic foundation of the Artist's Way is every morning you get up and you sit down and you just write for mm. a certain number of pages. I think it is. Force yourself to just write whatever. Whatever. Don't oh. edit it. Don't. You know. It just whatever comes out. I like it. And and after you making this a regular practice, you will find that it sort of loosens up the connections in your head or, or tightens them, loosens mm. them, tightens them, but makes it easier for you to access your creative impulse because you are working it like a muscle every day. But because you're not putting restrictions on it, like, oh, I have to write about this right. or I have to write about that or I have to watch my sentence structure. It's basically like automatic writing. It's just mm. like diarrhea out on the page. So you're um, getting filled with the spirit inspiration yes you know the word inspiration comes from inspiritus yes did i just make that up it i sounds think like so it could be true but i was it does, agreeing because the latin yeah. <laughs> i think that's true though it has something to do with being getting a spirit inside you it's like being um being inspired it has yeah. the word spirit in it because you're almost like you're being possessed by the creative spirit. I would like to know if anybody out there is familiar with the artist's way and, or, has, or has practiced it or has practiced any kind of journaling um, like that. I've done that before with music. Um, this was something that without knowing it, I used to do and I should do it again when I, I wasn't feeling particularly inspired. You know, once I got sober and I wanted to play guitar, I didn't one day get inspired. I started picking my guitar up every day with no plan except for I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to start playing scales. That was mm -hmm. my first exercise, just scales. And as I played, I would inevitably start doodling. And then I would start playing something else. And then maybe I'd play something I remembered how to play. And then it would inspire me to play another thing. And then maybe I would write something. Or maybe I wouldn't get inspired. I'd just play a bunch of scale studies 
for a half an hour and call it a day. But the next time I did it, it's like working at a muscle. So yeah. I, I would imagine this is the same kind of thing. You just sitting down and you're just writing anything. Yeah. It but it's almost like a, brain. it's almost like a writing meditation. Yeah. I actually kind of put out the question to some of the folks on the, on the discord really? group. Yeah. About creativity and the persistent myth of alcohol and drugs, making it an aid. Uh, and I asked their experience and I didn't get a ton of responses, but I got a few. Um, you want to hear a couple? Yes. Okay. So Meg says, I think with my senses and mind being clear, creativity is more accessible to me now and the finished product is better. So what, is, what about that, being able to access that more creative part of your brain yeah. without the clouding nature of drugs or alcohol? Well, I Do you think, think you can tap into that better? Yeah. I think that you are, when, when we're creating, and those of you out there that have created things as far as like music and art or written poetry, I find myself when I'm in the zone like writing something, recording mm-hmm. something, making something. It's almost not me doing it. I feel like something is working yeah, through me. That's right. And to tap into that gets more difficult when you're clouded with drugs and alcohol, I think. Like you do initially get this sort of false sense of creativity where you're outputting a bunch of crap. And sometimes it's a little good, but I used to find that when I listened to my recordings or whatever I wrote the, while I was high, it was usually not great, you know, compared to when I sat down with the band kind of me Mm. and we worked on those songs in a sober way, you know, it was, it was better. And you're just working off other people, you know, in the band or uh, yeah, I think absolutely it'll, uh, it lets you tap into that. The ether. The thing, the thing that's like confounding though, is like, you can't really say that. I mean, there've been a lot, a lot of good music and a lot of good writing produced by people who are under the influence of narcotics and, and alcohol. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question. Yeah. Right. Um, I think where people get hung up though, is that thinking that, that one created the other it's, it's correlation causation. Right. Sorry. I just pulled your headphone, but, um, it's not necessary. It can be a tool or it can change your perception of reality, which can give you like, a, a different kind of perspective and may inspire you, but I don't think it is the root of inspiration. Like most things, I, I think psychedelics may be somewhat different in that sense. Um, I don't know. I think there's, I think they're studying that now. I think it, you it, can't wait to get into a study for psilocybin. <laughs> for I, a, no, I honestly don't. <laughs> I honestly don't want to take psychedelics, but I do get, uh, I am sort of enamored with the idea that it lets you pull back and, and take a 30,000 foot view of yourself. Yeah. And, I, and I wonder what that seeing yourself from that level. Well, certainly you've done acid before. Yeah, so but I, I, I wasn't. Do you, you know, really with need purpose? It? I no, think, I don't think so. I think you got to look at your motivations when it comes to where we're at right now and all of these new studies and new ways to treat addiction with un- non traditional methods like mm-hmm. kid. I think. I think we've talked about this before. I think we just really have to, I'm not saying absolutely not. I never would, but I would need to really examine my motivations and I would want my tandem sponsor sure, to help me sure. do that. And before I would, I mean, let's take that risk at, at my age, I'm not going to write like a, 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 an American novel or am I going to put together like a, a, a concept album? So if I, if I, if I, if you ever hear me <laughs> start telling you that Nat, I need to go take, eat a bag of mushrooms to write this piece of music, <laughs> yeah. just be like, shut the fuck up. You know? <laughs> anyway, I asked Kyle too. And Kyle said, uh, 
he says, I think with alcohol, it just muddles my brain and I can't come up with melodies as easy and the motivation dwindles. So he's like, a, he's a musician. Oh, yeah. He writes music, right? He's a serious musician. Yeah. He probably has a lot to say about this. So I, I, he says, I've now made a habit of using my voice recorder app while I'm walking my dogs to hum ideas down that come out of nowhere, even from the rhythm of my footsteps. Now, I occasionally smoke pot here, and I do find as long as I have an initial idea set up on my computer, it does kind of help me expand on what I'm working on or get ideas down because I can easily get distracted by my phone, etc. Mm. Uh, although I agree with Meg uh, that to finish anything, a clear head makes a better end result. Right. I like, I like what he's saying there. I mean, if you can get yourself to a place where you're able to simply, you know, to do the core of your writing, you know, sober um, with your own inspiration. And what he said right there is great. I do that, too. Uh, I do that with the show. You know, as soon as I get an idea, I put it on my my doc so I don't forget it Mm -hmm. and then later. So, uh, yeah, look, to each his own. And um, so long as I feel like you're not depending on it and you don't put yourself in a situation where... You must have it in order to create anything. You know, that's the danger. You just have to know yourself. Well, I got one more response, which was uh, from from Chris57. says, uh, I've never experienced any real relationship between alcohol and and creativity. In general, drinking sucked up most of my time and energy and all other endeavors suffered. See, that was more my experience, you know. Uh, That said, sometimes alcohol was a shortcut to warming up and made it easier to get into playing guitar or singing. But it's just as likely that, that what was really happening was that my inner critic was being quieted. Interesting. Yeah. I like that answer. Yeah. So that kind of squares with my experience. I'm definitely not as creative uh, when it comes to music as somebody like you, Nat. I mean, so really? for me, it's just like, you know, the limited creative abilities that I, that I have, um, you know, I was just basically shut, shutting them off completely with alcohol. Like that's I wasn't. A, that's you know. interesting, you know, because I can't listen to anything. I can't passively listen to music. This is a real problem for me. Like anytime music is playing, my brain automatically tunes in, and Kyle could probably appreciate this. I listen actively every time music comes on. I can't stop it. I'll listen to the production. I'll listen to the chord progression. I'll listen to the instrumentation. Mm-hmm. I'll pay attention to. The, but like it's every time. But it gets me thinking, and then it gets me making stuff. So mm. I like can't stop it really. Hmm. And this is why I've been listening to books, radio shows, and podcasts for the last 20 years to go to sleep, because if I listen to music, yeah, I'm gets, analyzing gets your brain it. going too much. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> like, interesting. Oh, that's a nice harmony. Oh, listen to that. Then, you know, look at that. I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's as simple as you think it is. I mean, if you use too much, it's just going to get in the way of you getting your stuff out, getting your, too your much. music, your too much. things out into the world. And if you're like most people, any any much is too much. <laughs> any much is too much. Um, there was one more on this article before we move to the yes, next article yes, of course. that I thought was bizarre. So after practice meditation, it lists lucid dreaming. Yeah. Uh, and I put six question marks, a capitalized really question mark, L-O-L after it. That's well, it's I kind of a weird that. thing to just sort of drop in there without oh, any yeah, explanation how you get there. Do your lucid dreaming yeah. and you'll be fine. Ben claims he can lucid dream. Really? Yeah, I that's don't believe cool. him though. I think he's watched too many TikToks where somebody says that that's what they do. And uh, Yeah, it's not easy to lucid dream unless you do it naturally. I used to try when I was a teenager and like yeah. after talking to my aunt, you know, so I've told you guys about, um, you know, I, I got a book on how to like leave your body. Yeah. It must have been 16. Did it work? Uh, 
I was able to get myself where I felt like I was two feet floating over my body, and then I'd freak out and go back in, and I couldn't get past that. But mm. I definitely at least thought I perceived that my light body was raising up from the physical body. But that could have been because you're lying down, and you have to imagine that your hands are getting heavy, and you have to like visualize you know, your spirit coming out of your forehead. Like, there's a whole thing that you have to do. <laughs> and so who knows? I was probably sleeping. But you can't just do lucid dreaming in, in order to uh, to get more creative. But I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, there is a second article uh, that speaks to uh, the, um, well, you want to talk about the Cub Scout uh, baseball cards? No, but we're cranking. You want to, you know, um, well, because we have an article for Recovery in the News. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll just do a quick. Yeah, do uh, a quick uh, thing on that one. So uh, David Biello wrote an article that's called, Is There a Link Between Creativity and Addiction? Um, and then it starts off with addiction starts with genetics and the environment, but it's triggered by stress. So like his main point here is how stress is like a real cause of addiction. Um and that sort yeah, of Yeah, I don't disagree with that really. I mean, it's a cause, not maybe not the cause. A drink of alcohol, any kind, rails of white powder, a pill prescribed by a pediatrician to assist with attention deficit disorder, whatever the poison, addiction can take a powerful toll. Nor is it limited to drugs. Food, sex, and even death-defying stunts can exert the same pull. But it seems to be a particular breed of person who succumbs to addiction. Ooh, that's kind of mean. Mm. Uh, most recently exemplified by the late singer Amy Winehouse. She joins the 27 Club. <laughs> Maybe not most recently. Uh, but no, yeah. this might be an old. Oh, yeah, this was written in two. Hmm, okay. uh, Jimi Hendrix and names the other ones. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought that, you know, uh, they, they asked the question, is there a link between creativity and addiction? That's what we're asking. And now this article says no. I think the link is not between creativity and addiction per se. There is a link between addiction and things which are a prerequisite for creativity. Hmm. We know that 40% of a predisposition to addiction is genetically determined via studies on heritability in families and twins, but there's no single addiction gene. And this I've read this too. Right. I still haven't heard any expert or scientist or someone who actually studies these things say we found an addiction no. gene. Uh, we don't even know all the genes involved in conferring addiction risk. But the ones we do know have to do with the signaling of the neurotransmitter dopamine for pleasure and reward. Yes. You don't become addicted because you feel pleasure strongly. On the contrary, addicts seem to want it more but like it less. This was a weird article because it, it purported to be about addiction and creativity, but then it just basically went into the causes of addiction. So I... I it wasn't that well written. Yeah, I, didn't um, was, I don't didn't really understand what the focus was, but that's just me. Uh, does curing the addiction eliminate the creativity? Generally not. Generally not. Yeah. When you cure the addiction, you're not changing your genes. Right. So you have the you either have the creative gene or you don't. Have they found the creative gene? They haven't found the alcohol gene, but have they found the creative gene? Um, it's uh, right next to the penis. <laughs> <laughs> As, as it always is. All right. The All two right, biggest factors are genetics and stress, according to this article. And that about does it for the main topic. You thought I was going to say for today, but no, we've got more to come, folks. In fact, we have a late breaking news. What happened? Um, late breaking news. Late breaking news. Apparently, uh, the model Chrissy Teigen says she's been sober for a year. Did you know this? I know, she's some supermodel. Okay. She's a 36-year-old model and influencer. 
She announced on Instagram stories yesterday that she is one year sober and feels pretty good about it. Yay. Yay. Not a drop of alcohol in 365 days, she wrote. I miss feeling loopy and carefree, but to be honest, towards the end, it didn't give me the fun feeling anymore anyhow. Mm, Anne Hedonia. She tells a really compelling memoir uh, about what happened, um, you know, and, and some of the dark dark times that she went through. Do you want to hear one of them very quickly? Um, She said, sometimes I get really frustrated looking back on days I should remember way better than I do because of alcohol. Like when I drank Cafe Patron and fell asleep on Outback Steakhouse Chef taught me and my friends how to make a blooming onion at my house. Blooming onion. I wish I was awake for that. I wish I remembered really any award show, LOL. Relatable struggles. Me too. To be sure. Anyway, congratulations, Chrissy, and and I'm glad you're living your best life now. I hope you remember the next award show and the next blooming onion that's right someone comes to help you make at your house very nice yes and now it's time for recovery in the news yeah it is yeah all right recovery in the news recovery in the news recovery recovery in the news motherfucker yeah baby the gnat is Back. Coming in your ear holes. <laughs> Take it. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> Several people sent me this uh, week's article. Alliteration, everyone. Oh. Several smiling. Several smiling. Smurfs. <laughs> stained. Sent this <laughs> shit to me. Um, but the one I selected of... It's funny. Different people sent me different news sources, same article. I got The Guardian, sent, I got Forbes, and I got Fox News. And the most readable one was Fox, was Fox News. News. Although the comment section is a fucking trainer. I Just stay imagine. out of there. Uh, so anyway, sobering new study says that those under age 40 shouldn't drink alcohol at all. Yeah. At all. Ever. Not even a bit. Um the, the study is essentially encouraging young people to put down that gorgeous summer cocktail wow. or delicious beer. Why are they describing <laughs> it like that? Right this minute. You stop drinking that delicious thing. Stop it. Uh, people under 40 suffer the most significant health risks from drinking, uh, according to a study done by the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington in Seattle. It's a catchy name. Yeah. Um, that's my old job. The uh, health risks associated with imbibing include auto accidents, injury, and even murder. Ah, murder, 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 most foul. Mm. Um, also people under age 40 receive no health benefits at all from drinking alcohol. The study found, Mm. um, I suppose that part is not surprising. Although what is surprising is, you know, every, uh, uh, gray cloud has a silver lining and, uh, Every news outlet made a very big deal over the fact that people 40 or older may benefit from a limited consumption of alcohol. I noticed that. A glass of red wine occasionally, for example, as long as they have no underlying health risks. It's actually not a glass of wine, though. If you look closely at the study, the amount of drinking that's considered healthy ends up being like a few teaspoons or tablespoons a week. It's not like... Like you a can, bunch of drinks. Can't you, know? you get the same thing from grape juice like this antioxidant? Or is there an actual benefit to the drug alcohol? The, the um, I don't think. 
Yeah, I, I have heard of well, one. I, I always hear antioxidants, it, antioxidants. The health uh, benefits from alcohol are, are clearly outweighed by the, the health risks. I mean, mm. yeah, maybe you'll, your blood pressure will go down a little, but you have, a, you have an elevated chance of dying of liver cancer, you know, so. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it seems uh, insane. I mean, their, their main uh, quote that they keep putting here is, our message is simple. Young people should not drink. But older people may benefit from drinking right. small amounts. It sends the wrong message because anyone over 40 is going, see that? I it, can drink as much as I want. Right. Yes. It's good for me. Um, basically, if, you, if, you're, <laughs> if you're looking, the best, healthiest amount of alcohol to drink is none. I don't care what age you are. And, and I, everybody knows it. And, you know, uh, you know, if you're drinking booze for health reasons, I mean, maybe just, have a juice or a smoothie or something instead. Yeah, know. like I don't ever pretend like vaping is healthy for me. I readily admit that, you know, no amount of nicotine is really great for me. And, um, you know, but uh, to lie to people and to make them feel like, you know, it's okay to keep consuming and to keep buying. You know, they want to keep the liquor business afloat. You know, it's it's a huge part of our culture. You know, um, huge. Yeah. I mean, it's not... They admit like they've, they've already thrown in the towel. While it may not be realistic to think that young people will abstain from drinking, we do think it's important to communicate the latest evidence so that everyone can make an informed decision about their health. I guess. I mean, I don't know. It annoys me that the amount that the amount of alcohol consumed in this society and the fact that the people who are pushing it know full well the health risks and the fact that seventy percent of the booze can purchased in the United States is by the top 10% of drinkers. So these companies know that they're marketing this poison to people with drinking problems. And then they, you know, get a thin veneer of some kind of like scientific study that right. they fund that shows that, you know, yeah, if you drink like a thimble full of red wine a week, you know, you maybe are, you, your risk of having a stroke is slightly decreased. It's all bullshit, but whatever. Well, I mean, the point they make is um, the small amounts of alcohol consumption are associated with improved health outcomes in populations that predominantly face a high burden of cardiovascular diseases, particularly older adults in many world regions. It continued, given these findings, we recommend a modification of existing policy guidelines to focus on emphasizing differential optimal consumption levels by age. Blah, blah, blah. Rather, it's <laughs> bullshit. I mean, but they do make a point that uh, when you get to the end of this article, it starts talking more about how we shouldn't be thinking in terms of men and women because you see a lot of that. Like, mm -hmm. women can have three drinks, men can have five. But what this article is saying is that uh, there's been a, focused, a focus in the past on studying alcohol consumption related to gender. Such a report almost a decade ago entitled Closing the Gender Gap, the case for gender-specific alcohol research published in the Journal of Alcoholism. And uh, what they're saying is today we should really look in terms of age groups and not so much gender. That's interesting. Um, I, don't, I don't think anywhere you can find a study that shows that the ingestion of ethanol, which is alcohol, is has positive health benefits at all. Maybe there is a correlation between some people that drink certain kinds of red wine and maybe that's other things in their lives 
that are having the, maybe red wine drinkers are more cardiovascularly active or something. But just, it ethanol itself is a poison and the body treats it like a poison. It just seems bizarre. Like why continue to make these small allowances? You know, why even bother saying for a very small number of the aged population who may have cardiovascular right. issues in this scenario, then yes, you know, a half a glass of wine may help your cardiovascular you know but like what is the fucking point of saying that when it's, and, and what is the fucking point of drinking a half glass of wine right like it you know <laughs> just you get enough at, did you ever want a half glass of wine no i didn't even want it for communion <laughs> yeah you know? it's 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 idiotic go big or go home um if anybody out there would like to argue Sorry. for um the health benefits of alcohol i would <laughs> love to hear it and anything else you want to say on this one? No, that's it. And that's recovering the news. Yeah. Now that we end the news. <laughs> Do you have the correct sound queued up? Yeah. Okay. It's now time. <laughs> wow, what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, every time. Okay, here we go. It's been a while. I'm just thinking uh, okay. out loud. Weak and weird. Yes. <laughs> Oklahoma man blames Bigfoot summoning for alleged murder of fishing buddy. <laughs> I thought that said fisting buddy. Oh, God. <laughs> I need who? glasses. Right. By who? Tim. Tim Banal. Is he back from wherever he was? He's back. And Tim writes, in a bizarre story out of Oklahoma, where many bizarre stories <laughs> of begin. Of course, of course. A man arrested for allegedly killing his friend during a fishing trip told police that the deadly incident came about in response to his companion summoning Bigfoot to attack him. <laughs> yeah, alcohol had nothing to do with this. <laughs> nothing at all. According to a local media report, the very weird case occurred this past Sunday afternoon near the city of Ada as Larry Sanders and Jimmy Knight. Larry Sanders. I know, like, like, it Larry's, sounds like a comedian. It's that show. Yeah. Uh, we're attempting to catch catfish in the South <laughs> of course. Canadian River by way of their bare hands using a technique called noodling. S- noodling. I've heard of that. Interesting. However, their day took a dark turn when the two fishing buddies got into a disagreement which ultimately left Knighton dead and Sanders pointing the finger at... Sasquatch. (laughs) Responding to a report of a homicide that had unfolded at the river, police say that they arrived to find Sanders recounting his role in Knighton's death to a family member. Upon (laughs) being questioned by deputies at the scene, the noodler confessed to killing his friend by first striking him and then strangling him. (laughs) As for why he did it, Sanders shockingly explained that Knighton had summoned Bigfoot to come and kill him. And in order to save his own life, the man concluded that he had to silence his companion before the proverbial call to action reached the hirsute ears of Sasquatch. I love Tim Bunnell. Isn't that written into the Oklahoma self-defense statute <laughs> that you're allowed to kill, you're allowed your, to kill your, your noodling buddy if he calls <laughs> Bigfoot? Yeah. The second you call Sasquatch in to kill your friend, you know, yeah. it's fair game. In what might be the least surprising aspect of the case, the police also observed that Sanders, quote, appeared to be under the influence of something. <laughs> no kidding. While the misguided measure of self-defense appears to have worked since he was not killed by Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> Sanders was subsequently arrested for Knighton's murder. Oh, come on. After the police recovered the down noodler's body. <laughs> the down noodler's body. From the river the following day. Musing 
that the man's forthcoming nature, quote, makes it easier to prosecute the case. Sheriff John Christian indicated that, quote, you still have to prove all the elements of the crime and that what the suspect is telling you is actually what happened. Since it is unlikely that Sanders will be able to find Bigfoot to testify on his behalf, he's likely facing an uphill legal battle (laughs) in which, if he is found guilty, could ironically culminate with him facing the death penalty for the Sasquatch-inspired slaying. Wow. Wow. So it's going to result in the very thing he was trying to forestall. That is I would have taken irony. my chance with my friend summoning Bigfoot than with um, the Oklahoma state I have to wonder, legislature. did he think that that was going to be like, uh, like they a mitigation him. defense? Like That's uh, definitely somebody high thinking like, you have been. I've been high and thought I had a really great explanation out of something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like he was totally, and he's, he thought it through. And he's like, I just have to tell them. If, I just, <laughs> if I'm honest, I look them in the eye, they're going to believe me. Right. It's self-defense against Sasquatch, so. Well, I mean, look, this is Oklahoma. The jury, it's a jury of their peers. Who knows? Anything can happen. There may be peers who this has happened to. So he may get... (laughs) It uh, may not be a unique experience is what you're saying. He may get a sympathetic jury. And that, my friends, was Tim Banal and Week in Weird. See, the thing I find funny is that Sasquatch never even made an appearance. No, just did the like, mere Why didn't mention. he just blame Sasquatch for killing his noodling buddy? That, that's how powerful Sasquatch is. The mere mention of him being summoned can cause someone Sends to... terror uh, into the hearts of men. Yeah, yeah. Violently stop someone summoning him. I don't know. Are we done? Is that about is that does it? it for today. I know I had a great time. Did you? That was awesome. Thank That's you great. so much really? for listening, everybody. Enjoy. We really miss you guys. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, yes. Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So tweet us at what you twit. Support your favorite show. Please, please, please drop a five-star review on iTunes. I'm going to say this one more time because we need more reviews. Please, if you're still listening at this point in the show, <laughs> you know you want to fill out a, a review for us. We're going to read it. It's going to be great. Um, join us at patreon.com slash Ages for a higher level of support. Um, free extra merch. Um, we've got, what else? I'll send you some Oreos, whatever. Yeah. Let, um, it just might, it might be a minute or two before we get back to you with another episode. I'm going with the family to Yellowstone and then you are going to Greece. Yes. Shortly thereafter. We are going to Greece. If Chad invaded Djibouti, would Greece help? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's my foreign policy joke. I think I've told it before. I love it. No one's listening. Okay, wrap it up. <laughs> and finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. That's progress, not perfection, which is definitely a motto of this, <laughs> this week's show. See you next time. Uh, be good. Oh, uh, stay fresh, <laughs> cheese bags. Bye. Bye. Bye.